brother. Amen. Amen. That was good. Well, that was some uh, toe-tapping music there. That was good stuff. Amen. <laughs> I enjoyed that. That was really good. All right. We'll be in uh, Matthew chapter 14 this evening. Gospel of Matthew chapter 14. I pray you've had a good day in the Lord's house today. A bit of a rest this afternoon. And uh, my family and I are up in... Uh, up at Crossroads in Gympie this morning, had a good service up there, and I uh, had a family of seven return, uh, returning visitors, that was good, and so it's growing uh, numerically and spiritually, and we thank the Lord for that young church up there in Gympie. So we started back in the 14th of August last year, so a little over a year and three months old, so we praise the Lord what uh, he's doing up there in Gympie, and thank you for your prayers and that, and next year... You'll be in prayer uh, for us about this. We're uh, right now at the moment meeting every fortnight, and so we are desiring and praying towards meeting every week, <clears throat> and so having a service once a week, so every fortnight, so be in prayer uh, with us for that, if you would, please, and I'll take a bit of a, a team to get together for that, and because we are also in Mergen on uh, one weekend in Mergen at Bible Baptist Church and one weekend in Gympie uh, Crossroads, so we'll have to have a bit of a team to help us with that. And I look forward to what the Lord has for us. And my whole goal with that church in Gympie is really it's not, again, Outback Church per se, but it's more of a regional area. And I just sense the Lord have us start a church there. Uh, it's a great location for a future ministry out west. And it's a regional growing town. And uh, even people here from Brisbane and other places are moving up to Gympie and, and of course, uh, living there, working here and, and uh, commuting and so forth. So it's a great, a great place uh, to be. And a great place to have a church uh, there at Crossroads Baptist. We'll be in Matthew chapter number 14 uh, this evening. <clears throat> and uh, so a brief thought and hopefully a bit of an encouragement uh, for you this evening. As I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure about you, but uh, we get towards the end of the year, which we're, we're there. Hard to believe we're wrapping up 2023. And with some activities ahead, of course, the carols by the creek coming up. And uh, we're promoting that, by the way, at Crossroads and Mergen alike. So I'm hoping that some folks come down from Gympie uh, to be a part of that. And likewise from Mergen. But as you get towards the end of the year, I'm not sure if you're like myself, I kind of look back upon the year and see, you know, what the Lord has done. You look through some things that you've been through, uh, some, you know, victories, some mountaintops, and no doubt some valleys, some tough times, some difficult times. And you kind of reassess, you look back and really... See where the Lord has, has brought you to where you are today. And you look, again, look in the, the rear view mirror of life in this past year, and you see, as you're going through it, sometimes you don't always, it's not 2020 vision. You don't see what's going on and what the Lord's doing. But often you look back upon that, and you see, oh, I see where now the Lord let us do this and so forth and helped us through this hard time. And so here I want to point out a bit, uh, here a verse of Scripture, Matthew 14, verse 33. With that thought in mind, as we think about this past year, <clears throat> And we've all been through different things, uh, uh, collectively as a church and individually as, as cream. And, but here, verse 33, the Bible says, And they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Now I'll kind of take that thought, that spirit, not so much per se, and I understand tonight is probably more of the home crowd, and uh, I pray that everybody here is uh, a true born-again Christian. And so I'm not, it's not going to be an evangelistic type of uh, message tonight. It's just more of an encouragement for us Christians. And if you are not saved, I'll be encouraged tonight to not delay in that and to uh, receive Christ as your Savior. 
But tonight, I want to get, really get the spirit behind this. And by the way, this is, this is the greatest discovery a person can make, that Jesus Christ is a son of the living God. And so I'm not going to take what they said per se. I want to take the spirit behind it. And I entitled this message tonight, I entitled it, A Restful Confidence in Him. A Restful Confidence in Him. As you look back, I know I, upon my past year uh, through ministry and life, and it's been uh, tumultuous at times, and some rough times, some, some rough patches and seasons of life. And I've been reading through this and studying through this, and I just love the spirit of these guys that were on the ship. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. It's almost like the penny dropped. It's almost like we're now resting. We'll understand here in a minute. We'll kind of tear this, this whole passage apart as we think about the storm they went through. But you kind of sense the spirit. If you jump over, we'll toggle back and forth a little bit tonight through the Gospels. Here in John chapter number 6, we have <clears throat> this being said the next day. In fact, um, here in John chapter number 6 and verse 67, let's read verse 66. It says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will he also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And here it is. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. We see the sense of spirit, of security, of, of, of really that they're settled, that the penny dropped. And like we know this for a fact, we are sure, we are confident. And so I, I, once again, I entitled this message, A Restful Confidence in Him. And sometimes when we go through tumultuous times, we get stirred up and, and, and things are a mess. Things are a disaster. And if I can use an, an aviation uh, analogy for this, my father-in-law, who is now in heaven, uh, he, Lord, called him home to heaven back in 2008. Uh, he was a pastor, but not only a pastor, he was a pilot. And uh, he loved to fly little airplanes as some pastors golf, some pastors, you know, they fish. You know, he flew. And he had a couple of private airplanes that he flew. And, and uh, he took me up a couple times before my, uh, Becky and I got married and uh, to test my manhood. And because uh, his name is Ron, and Ron did not like to fly straight and level. He liked to fly aerobatics. And I was privy to that. And I'm kind of a bit of an adventurous guy, but not this adventurous. And this was uh, the next level. So... Anyway, he, he took me up a couple times, and he took our son Jimmy up a few times and did uh, different aerobatics. And we were in a, one time we were in a uh, Cessna 172. It's a four-seater small aircraft, a single-prop airplane. And uh, we're flying over the air, different fields over there in the eastern part of the states. And we're up maybe about 2,000 meters. And uh, I'm enjoying myself. All of a sudden, he, he takes the, uh, the stick and yanks it towards him, which you can think about aviation. It makes the, the nose go straight up. And so he, he's, he's, he's teaching me some things, talking about flying. I love flying. I love level flying, not so much this uh, crazy aerobatic stuff. But he yanks that stick towards him, and we go straight up in the air. And he says, he says Jim, there's a couple things you got to know when you get into trouble in the airplane. I said, okay, I'm listening. <laughs> he says, just be sure, number one, if you get in a storm, you get any kind of turbulence going on, make sure you aviate. Make sure you simply fly the plane. And so all I see in front of me is sky. I see no ground. We're heading straight up. And then he uh, gets to an altitude. Then he throws the stick forward, and he hits the rudder. And then we turn and do what's called a hammerhead. I don't know if you're familiar with that. You go up, and you actually, the plane actually goes this way. 
and you turn around that, and you start heading towards the ground. And I'm holding on. I'm sweating inside. I'm, I'm getting a bit nervous. I'm not letting the show. I got to make sure, you know, I pass the test here. And uh, I'm sweating. And so he said, the second thing you got to know is that you need to navigate. Not only aviate, but you need to navigate, know where you're going in life. Know where you're going with the plane. Make sure you fly the plane, and make sure you know where you're going. And then he hits the, he hits the stick again. He uh, pushes it back again, because we're going down like this, push it back and raise the nose, and then we go level flight again. And he's like, the third thing you do is communicate in those three things in order to aviate, navigate, and communicate. And sometimes in life, you get to a storm, and you can't do any of those. Your instrument panels are spinning. You're simply just going out of control. You're losing altitude, and things, you're in a panic. And we see the fellows here in the ship, they were in a panic. And we'll go through this briefly tonight. As we think about this, a restful confidence in him. I love another verse here in John <clears throat> chapter number uh, 16. And I'll read one verse here and we'll go back to Matthew chapter 14. John chapter number 16 and uh, verse number 28 Jesus here is speaking to his disciples right before the prayer of intercession, chapter 17, and then chapter 18, he was going to be um, betrayed by Judas. But here in chapter 16 of John, verse 28, I came forth from the Father and am come into the world again. I leave the world and go to the Father. And I love here, it brings a smile across my face when the disciples respond to this statement by, by Christ. He says, verse 29, his disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking plainly. There's no veil in this statement. You made it real simple for us, and we now get it. <laughs> That's what we're saying. And it says, verse 30, Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. So once again, we have uh, uh, an occasion here where the penny dropped. Okay, no, we were sure now. We were sure. We, we have a confidence in this, we have a restful confidence of who you are, what your plan is, and so forth. So back to Matthew chapter number 14. I see a couple of things here in uh, this account of the, uh, the storm <clears throat> that the disciples went through. And understand, right before uh, Jesus sent them away, verse 22, before this, in chapter 14, and uh, verse... Uh, number 15 to 21, we understand there is the miracle of the feeding of 5,000. And this really was the pinnacle of Christ's ministry. For two years, he was uh, going around teaching, preaching things people never heard before, doing miracles people never seen before. And here he did a miracle of feeding 5,000 men plus women and children. We're guessing 15,000, 20,000 people there. And so we read in John chapter number 6 that people, the people there saw that, and they wanted him to be king. All right, we won't turn for sake of time, but in John chapter 6, the people there want to mob him, take him, and Jesus Christ escaped. And this, that's not why Christ came, to be king, because he supplied food for them. He did feed them. He took care of them. But it's not the reason why that he came. So here is the pinnacle, really, of Christ's ministry. This is the climax of the popularity of Jesus. And really, from here on, it goes down from here. All right, this really is, is the pinnacle, and from here on, Jesus is uh, on his way to the cross. Um, 
And so really, this is a great miracle took place. And the Bible says here, and straightway, verse 22, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. So why, why did the disciples here come to this conclusion, verse 33, of a truth, thou art the Son of God? Something, something big happened here. Something miraculous happened. Something traumatic happened in their life for them to finally come to this conclusion, this settling in their heart, in their mind, in their life, that yes, you are the Son of God. And we almost see a bit of a, uh, a restful confidence here in the spirit of these guys. And I read that. I'm saying, you know what? We need that sometimes. We need that restful confidence. And sometimes we get shaken, do we not? Sometimes we get, uh, we get tumultuous in life, and we get turned upside down, and we get uh, our dials are going like this, and we don't know where we're at. We can't fly. We cannot navigate. We have no idea what's going on in life, and we are just thrown like it wasn't a washing machine. We're tumbling around, not sure what's going on. And there are seasons of life like that, and thank the Lord, it's a season. It's a season. It's a season. And then there's seasons of life where we can say with the disciples here of a truth out of the Son of God. We're confident. Now, it's almost like John the Baptist there in Matthew chapter 11, I believe it is, when he was in prison. <clears throat> John the Baptist had a little bit of doubt. Uh, he sent two of his disciples to find Jesus. He said, go, go ask, is he the Messiah? I'm, I think I'm believing correctly, but can you please reaffirm my faith? Because I'm, I'm doubting right now. I have a little bit of problem with doubts. This is John the Baptist, the greatest man ever lived outside of Christ himself. So we understand we have seasons like this of life. So how do these guys get to this stage? How do, how do they get to this? And I see five things in this passage here. As we'll go through this briefly tonight. <clears throat> five things that we can look towards our Savior, Jesus Christ, and hopefully it will help us come to this conclusion. And tonight you may be at a restful stage, and praise the Lord. Maybe tonight you're at a bit of a tumultuous time in life. And hopefully this will be a help to you. The first thing I see here is that our Savior has divine rule. He has divine rule. Verse 22, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. Understand he had to encourage them. He had to push them. He had to really motivate them to get into the ship. Why did he have to motivate them? Well, maybe it could be a couple things. Uh, they were enjoying the moment. They were enjoying the fact that Jesus fed 15,000 people. And maybe this was going to kick open the door to the kingdom that they always anticipated. Maybe they want to be there, and we understand they're always fighting who's going to be the greatest. You know, I want to be, you know, maybe it's time for their badge. Maybe it's time for them to, you know, get in the spot they want to always get in. And so this, this could be it. This is it, Jesus. This is it. We're here. The people love you now. They love you. And so that maybe they want just to hang around there, enjoy the moment a bit longer. But Christ says he had to constrain them. Understand that Christ has all rule. He has all authority. He constrained them, he says, to get into the ship. Maybe they want to stay with Jesus. We'll see that a little bit later, that Peter wants to be with Jesus, like all the time. Maybe they want to hang out with Jesus a bit longer. Maybe they saw the storm coming, and they didn't want to get into the ship. But Jesus said he constrained them to get into the ship and to go before him onto the other side. Understand, they are in the northeastern side of Lake, Lake Galilee at this moment, Bethsaida. They need to go to the other side, to Capernaum. And so Jesus said, guys, get in the ship. Come on, get in the ship. They made some arguing going on. They had to constrain, had to push them. Get in the ship, guys. Let's go. Get, get moving. Understand, Jesus has all rule. He has all authority. Not only for his own, but also for those who are not 
his followers there at the end of verse 22, while he sent the multitudes away. So he sent the disciples away. He sent the multitudes away because he could, because he has all authority, he has all rule. That's the God that we serve. He has all authority. He has all rule. In fact, we see throughout the scriptures, we see it in the, in the gospels, that uh, time and time again, you can conclude that Jesus had authority like no other. Like no other. In fact, he had authority over life, over death. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 29, the people who listened to the Sermon on the Mount said he taught as one having authority. He had authority over the, the minds of men. He had authority. He, he controlled. We say it a lot. He controls everything. God is in control. He has ultimate rule. Mark chapter 11, verse 27, it says this. Uh, I want to read it for a second time, but basically he's saying in, in a nutshell, he's saying, you know what? Uh, these guys are asking, some Pharisees are asking him, what authority do you have? And then Jesus asked them a question to answer their question, and uh, they weren't going to answer him. And so, you know what? It's none of your business, guys. You don't want to know. He said, I'm, I'm going to keep it a secret to you. You don't want to know the secrets of the kingdom, so I'm not going to tell you by what authority. In fact, he transmitted his authority to the disciples there. Uh, then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and cure diseases. Matthew 28, 18. All power is given unto me and in heaven and in earth. What is authority? Exousia is the Greek word. E-X-O-U-S-I-A. Ruling sovereign control. He controls everything. He made all the decisions about everything. He had to constrain, compel the disciples to get in the ship. They, he sent the multitudes away. He said, where'd they go? They went on the hillside. 15,000, 20,000 people just, just went away for the nights. The miracle, they had dinner. They ate fish and bread. We know, we know the miracle. And then they were sent away by Jesus, go into the hills and the pastures and camp for the nights. And they, they went, went away. But here we see our Savior has all authority. He has all authority. He has all power. In fact, the next day, <clears throat> when uh, these guys woke up and the story, so our, our story takes place on one day. Over the night is when the storm happened. We'll get this in a minute. And then the next day is when the people woke up. Uh, of course, when you first wake up, you want a cup of coffee. You want breakfast. And... Uh, Jesus was nowhere to be found. He was, he was gone. And so they woke up and say, hey, where's Jesus? They knew a good thing when they saw it. Where's he at? And so they, uh, all the ships were gone. And the Bible says that some ships from Tiberias came over. Anyways, they hopped in a boat. They found Jesus there. And Jesus spent in John chapter 6, the whole chapter, beautiful chapter there of Christ speaking to these people. Looking, guys, you, uh, you're following me for what, what you can get. And what you can get is, is uh, no longer what you want. You're gone. And so you're not following me for the right reason. You're following me because you want to be fed. And uh, Jesus really placed, uh, and that's what we read there in John chapter 6, verse 66. Many of his disciples went and followed him no more. So understand here, Christ has all authority, has all rule. He sent the disciples away. He sent the multitude away. Verse 23, and when he had sent the multitude away, he went into a mountain apart to pray. Number two I see is this. Number two, secondly, is what is revealed here is the fact that our Savior, Jesus Christ, has all divine understanding. He has all understanding. I love this here. <clears throat> when he sent the multitudes away, verse 23, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there 
alone. And back there, back on the sea, verse 24, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Now you gotta sort of love these guys because you know what? They're doing their best to be obedient, aren't they? They've been instructed to take their ship, turn their bow towards Capernaum, towards the western part of that lake of Galilee, and they're trying their best to be, to be obedient. And actually, Mark chapter 6, the parallel passage of this, it says here, uh, speaking of Christ in verse 48 of Mark 6, and when he, and he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And this is the part that, uh, you know, is often hard because we, and here's the takeaway for tonight. Uh, the takeaway is this, you know, we, we are in a place of blessing when we're obedient to him. And these guys are doing their best to be obedient. It's hard. The wind is contrary. They weren't just going to let go and let God. They were working. They were toiling. They were pushing forward. And sometimes we want to just throw the oars in the water, let the wind blow us back to where we started. But they were working. They were trying their best to be obedient to the Lord. It was difficult. They were toiling. They were scared, full of fear. But... They also understood, like we understand as Christians, that God has all understanding. He knows. He has all knowledge. But you got to really tip your hat these guys. They, they were trying. They were, they were rowing. They were, they were in the middle of, yes, of a storm, but they were in the middle of obedience. It's a bad night. They're trying to be obedient, but they're not having much success. It's dark. It's gloomy. The storm is violent. The water's angry. And worst of all, no Jesus. He's not there. He's not there. Now, these guys have been in a storm before with Jesus in the boat, but now he's not there. He's up in a mountain praying. Up in a mountain praying. And do you think he knows? He knows. He knows. He has all understanding. They're being tormented, but there Christ is praying up on a mountain. Isn't a marvelous picture of the high priestly intercessory work of Christ there as Jesus Christ is praying for them. What does the Bible say? Uh, Christ said to Peter, Peter, Satan hath desired you to sift you like wheat, but I pray for you that your faith fail not. Now understand that Jesus is praying for you, intercessory prayer for you to the Heavenly Father. And he knows our uprising. He knows our downsitting. He knows everything. Isn't it comforting to know that he knows? And, you know, it's not only that somebody knows, it's that he knows. It's that Jesus knows. He has all authority. He has all control. And he knows. I love this here because it says, <clears throat> but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves. And that has an idea of just turmoil, of trouble. Uh, I mean, they're, they're going through a, a really difficult time at this moment with waves, for the wind was contrary. <laughs> Everything was against them. Everything in nature was against them. And they're now alone. They're now alone. I see here that Jesus knows all things. By the way, he knew where to walk. 
He knew where to walk there. In verse 25, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. The Bible says in Psalm 139, verse 12, Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Understand that darkness is no barrier to our Savior, Jesus Christ. No barrier. Distance is no barrier to the knowledge of the Son of God. He knows where we are. He knows our distress. He knows our circumstance. He knows how to get to us. Now, when you're a sailor, there's, uh, <clears throat> there, verse 25 says, in the fourth watch of the night, there were four watches that the sailors uh, took turns keeping track of where they're going, or watching things, being observant where they're at. From 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., first watch, 9 to 12, the second watch, 12 to 3, the third watch, and 3 to 6 a.m., the morning watch. And it's by no coincidence here that Jesus came in the fourth watch of the night. He knows. He could have simply spoken the word on the mountaintop while he was praying to stop the storm, but he didn't. He didn't. He could have came in the first watch. He didn't. He could have came in the second watch. He didn't. He could have came in the third watch. He didn't. He came in the fourth watch. The fourth watch of the nights, he let those guys go to the very extremity of their faith, the very extreme of their faith. He waits a long time until he, until he comes. And that's all part of the lesson. You never really understand the power of God in your behalf until you are strung out to the extremity. Because it was in the impossibility of that extremity that they would see his power. He knows. He knows everything. He knows the thing about you. Exodus 3, verse 7 and 8. I love this verse. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of the taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, for I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. I know. I know where they are. I know what they're enduring. And I know how difficult it is. I'm going to come and deliver them. Ever thought what happened if God was just a couple minutes late? The thought would cross your mind, man. Just a few minutes late. Let me say tonight. Let me submit to you tonight that God is in time, on time, and every time. He knows. And these guys were thinking. He said these guys have uh, seen a storm calm by Jesus before, but they know they're the only boat. We understand they they took the only boat away. From Bethsaida. There's no they know, they knew as far as they know that Jesus can't get to them. They're out there on their own. The fourth watch of the night, they're toiling all night. And that's how he teaches them and us to string out our faith to the very last drop. I can use another aviation uh, analogy of this, and again, my father-in-law, he also said, um, he said, every, every airplane has a, what you call a G rating, and it's a gravity rating, and you're not supposed to, it's been done before, very risky, but you're not supposed to do certain aerobatics with, like, a, say, a Boeing 747 or, you know, a commercial airline. It's been done. It has been done. And uh, it's, it's crazy, you know, and uh, barrel roll or snap rolls, you know, they're not made for that. And so every airplane has, has a G rating, on their wings. You pass that G rating and then you lose the wings and then it's all over. And so uh, understand that, you know, God knows our G rating. He knows what we can handle. 
And sometimes we think, Lord, what are you doing? Because I can't handle this. I'm about ready to snap. My wings are about ready to come off. And, uh, but God knows. He knows what we can handle. He'll string us out to the very extremity of our faith. He'll wait to the fourth watch. He'll wait to the fourth watch. And I love this here. Verse 25. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. Understand, he not only came in the storm, he came on the storm. He was on it. He used the very trial as his footpath. It was nothing to him. The howling wind, the crashing waves, they don't affect him. In fact, he's walking on the water. I can just kind of see the water flattening out as our Savior walks across it. He's a creator of it. He controls it. He has his foot on it. He knows all things. Because they had needs and they were at the end of their rope. They were in their extremity. Bible says in Proverbs 15, verse 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place. It's impossible to hide from him. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 to 15, neither is there any creature not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a high, great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Isn't that good? We have a high priest who knows every single thing about us. What a comforting thought that is. And Jesus wasn't wandering around looking for the. He knew exactly where they were at. He knew exactly. He controls all things. He knows all things. Remember the introduction there to Nathaniel in John chapter 1, verse 48. Nathaniel said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? How do you know me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. He knew about him. He knew about him. The disciples learned that he knew right where they were. Third thing I see is this. We move along. Third thing I see is what I see in the story here in this account that they came to a restful conclusion, a peace and a restful confidence in their lives because they saw that he has all care. He has all care. When the disciples saw him, verse 26, walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. I understand what these guys are going through. They're going through uh, some, uh, some hard work here, and they see a spirit, and then they're, they're flipping their lid. They're, just, they're going off the rocker. This, and look, we've, we've been there. You know, we, just, we lose the plot. We're just uh, losing everything. And, uh, and they cry out for fear. And understand that Jesus has all care. We see the Lord will always be there. But notice what it says here. It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. If I can read the parallel account, Mark chapter 6, in verse number 48. Very interesting phrase here. We don't have time for tonight to develop this. But it says here, Walking upon the sea and what had passed by them. So here's Jesus, and this is interesting because he would have, it reminds me of Luke chapter 24 when they were on the road to Emmaus, and he was going to make it go a little further. But the disciples said, no, stay with us, stay with us. And here, here's the point, here's the principle for us tonight as we think about this and what the disciples saw. They cried. They cried out for fear. 
And Jesus always answers a cry. He always stops the ones who call. He wants to elicit in us a call for help. He's going to walk right on by. But they cried out. They cried out for fear. And straight away, he always answers a call. Always. Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. There wasn't any kind of theological explanation here. It was just, well, cheer up, guys. <laughs> cheer up. That's what he's saying. It's not always what is said. It's who says it. And here's Jesus saying, be a good cheer, guys. Cheer up. And here, another uh, example of this in John chapter number, John chapter 16. This phrase is used again. <clears throat> Real quick. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. If I say that, you say that, cheer up. What's that going to do? <laughs> it won't do much. But it's not what is said, who says it. Jesus says, cheer up, guys. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. He has all care. He has all care. The storm never gets so extreme that he doesn't know where we are, that he can't walk on the water. Again, this is not to teach people how to walk on water. That's not what it was all about. This is to teach people who can't walk on water that God can, that he can. We find them in the midst of the storm. We also find them in the midst of obedience. And when a believer is in the place of obedience, no matter how severe the storm, he's safe. He's safe. The place of security and safety for the believer is in the place of obedience to the Lord. Number four, I see is this. He has all love. He has all love. <clears throat> and Peter answered and said unto the Lord, If it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Now what I see here is really, and uh, this is not presumptuous on Peter's part, what I see here is really love on Jesus' part because love takes a person where they're at and helps them to grow. And this is what's taking place here. Jesus is helping Peter to grow in his faith. And we see a little bit of doubt there. If it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. I think that really describes all of us. It describes me. We have a little bit of faith mixed with some doubt and fear at times, do we not? I know it's me. We all have that. And here's Peter, and love is that. It's divine love. He has all love. We know he, God is defined by love. The way to demonstrate love biblically is to meet a person at his need and meet that need. For God so loved the world that what he gave his only begotten son. Because if he loved, he would meet man at the great need of his sin. And he did. And he did. Taking people from weakness to strength. And Peter here was taken from weakness to strength. And here Peter said... Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And that's where he wants to go, unto Jesus. Now, we may you know, give Peter a hard, time to, uh, hard time at times, and understand, you know, understandably so. I mean, he fell asleep at a prayer meeting. Uh, you know, he, uh, you know, he, he had, uh, you know, what they call that, uh, foot and mouth disease. You know, open mouth, insert foot. And he had these issues, but you cannot deny the fact that Peter loved Jesus. He loved him. In fact, he wants an amount of transfiguration. He wants to go up there and spend time with Jesus. He wants to 
camp out there and say, you know what, we're here, this is it. This is, this is it, we're going to stay here now. Uh, in fact, in <clears throat> John chapter, what is that, John chapter 15, I believe it is. And I love it, John 13, real quick, I'll turn this real quickly. And uh, you got to see the, the love Peter had for Jesus. John chapter 13, and uh, he's, uh, the last Passover is happening here. Uh, Christ is girding himself and washing the feet of the disciples. And then he cometh to Simon Peter, verse 6, And Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What, what I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Give me a bath. <laughs> Just give me, I want to be a part of you. I don't want to miss out. I want to be a part of this. And so Peter was always wanting to be with Jesus. Always wanting to be there. You almost picture him, Christ, walking down the pathway of the road, and he stops, and Peter kind of bumps into him, and he's, he wants to be there with Jesus because he loves him. Does he have issues? Of course, we all have issues. But Peter here, he loves Jesus. In fact, there later on in chapter 13 of John, it says here, verse number 36, And Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Where are you going? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter saith unto him, Lord, why canst I not follow thee now? Why, I want to follow you. Why can't I? He was always wanting to follow and be where Jesus was at. Back here in, in our text, Matthew 13, that's where he was going. He was going to be with Jesus. He had the faith, a little faith to get out of the boat. A little bit of faith to get out of the boat. And you understand, we, it doesn't take much faith, does it? A little faith. God took, he loves Peter, he loves us. He'll take our faith, our little faith that we have. We'll put it in practice and he'll grow that faith in us. He'll grow it. So here, Peter, God was taking Peter on a bit of a journey. And what does he say? Bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. Come, Peter. And Peter was come down out of the ship. He walked in the water to go to Jesus. It wasn't some fanfare. It wasn't some show. He had a purpose in mind. He was going to Jesus. Because he knew if he was with Jesus, that was a place of security, of safety, and serenity, no matter how violent the storm. And his faith got him out of the boats, and he understood that Jesus was able to calm the storm when he was in the boats, but this was his personal extremity in his life. He's never been out of a boat before, never been out walking on water before, but his faith made him step out of the boats, and he went to Jesus. And the Lord was showing Peter love and bringing Peter and growing his faith. And he believed that if the Lord could walk on that stuff, he could get to where he was and be safe in the midst of an environment that he could not control, he was in, that he was in great fear of. He knew if he got to Jesus, he could be safe. And really, you know, I like that about him. I like that about him. Psalm 4, verse 8, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Only makes me dwell in safety. He was consumed with the fact that he wanted to get to Jesus. <clears throat> and that was the heart of Peter. In every sense, he wanted to be with Christ. There was security, safety, and strength. <clears throat> And lastly, I see tonight, we'll close with this. The Bible says there, 
He says, come. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And I love this immediately. Once again, God responds to a cry, a heart cry. Immediately, immediately, Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And I often pause there and say, I think what I would have said, you're crazy. Why, why, do I, why do I doubt? Look what's going on around me. Jesus said, oh, thou little faith, wherefore did thou doubt? Why, why not? Why, why shouldn't I doubt? Look what's going on around me. This is crazy. This is nuts. But here, Jesus has taken Peter on a journey, a personal journey. He had the faith to get out of the boat, but then his faith stopped. And then he starts uh, living by sight. And then he started to sink. Then he cried, and God was there and rescued him. O thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And they, when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. And the fifth thing I see tonight is this. <clears throat> the final point is that uh, our Savior, Jesus Christ, has all power. He has all power. He demonstrated that power. Psalm 62, verse 11, God has spoken once. Twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. And they knew, Psalm 89, verse number 6, which says, Who in heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Job 26, verse 14, the thunder of his power, who can understand? God has all power. He has all rule, all authority. He has all understanding. He has all care. He has all love. He has all power. What else do we need? Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. They had a restful confidence about them. After seeing all these things about their Savior, Jesus Christ. And maybe tonight you need a bit of restful confidence. Maybe it's been a bit of a tumultuous year, and uh, I think we all are looking forward to a bit of a, a holiday break. But life goes on, ministry goes on, and serving goes on, and there will always be uh, storms and tumultuous times and turbulence happening in life. But let's take these to heart tonight. Let's understand that our Savior, Jesus Christ, has all rule. He has all understanding, care, love, and power. And we can rest in that. We can have a confident restfulness in that, knowing who our Savior is. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, thank you for this account in Scripture. Lord, thank you for the journey that we're, we're all on, different stages, Lord. And, and some have been a Christian many, many years. Some have been a follower of you only a short time. But, Lord, you know us. You know us. You, you know our need, and you meet us where we're at. Father, we just ask you that you would help us and help our faith, help our trust, help where we lack in this area. And, uh, Lord, help our doubts. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this time tonight. And we pray for this week and the upcoming uh, Christmas carols. And, Lord, we just ask you to go before us. And we thank you, Lord. Praise your name. Pray all these things in Jesus' name.